Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. people. Leo Phillips here with This Must Be The Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live music. Every single week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this big, gigantic, spongy globe. We talk passion, we talk first concerts, insights into the creative mind during this truly unusual time, and everything in the Juicy Centre. This week, we're excited to share a conversation with Dave Bailey, the brilliant and charming frontman of Glass Animals. I literally just walked off the front of the stage. The English outfit formed in 2010 and have since grown into one of the most thrilling acts on the festival circuit. Alongside longtime friends Drew McFarlane, Edmund Irwin Singer, and Joe Seward, Dave and the band have now penned three albums worth of hip-hop-tinged psych-pop, including the recently released Dreamland. And while fans might be missing out on Glass Animals' cancelled tour, the record's blend of intense autobiographical storytelling and woozy soundscapes will make them feel right at home. Not to mention, the stems and graphics are up for grabs in the form of open-source files on the band's website in order to recreate the communal feel. We were spoke with Dave about putting the band's tour on hold, his history in cake baking, meeting Radiohead, breaking his foot after falling off stage, and so much more. So let us not be delayed. This is Lior and Dave. Enjoy! You're the fifth Leo that I've I've rang trying to uh, <laughs> trying to find you, but I feel like I feel very accomplished now. I'm the only one that matters. You are, you are. You're the most. You're yeah. my favourite one. <laughs> Everyone else is a bit moody, to be honest. But this is good. You know, it's really funny because I was actually thinking the other day. Like we used to when I was younger. I'm going to show my age, but we used to prank call, like all the time. Like that used to be our thing. We used to just pick up the landline and prank call. What, and just dial any number? Just dial any number and then expect to have some sort of silly conversation with the person on the other side. And I wonder <laughs> if, like, kids, do kids do that? Do kids these, kids these days? I don't know. Do do kids, <laughs> bloody kids these days. <laughs> I think, like, I remember, the only thing I remember doing when I was younger was I would, me and my friend would pick up the phone and just push... Yeah. zero for the operator okay and then we'd ask the operator if they had any um dinosaur toys or something like that and they'd say no and we'd go <laughs> and then that would be it i feel like if you enter into one of those jobs also that job is gone now right there's no more direct there's no you can't call a directory the oper- yeah what yeah. happened to all the operators <laughs> in the world that's really sad <laughs> I swear, they're probably living on some island, their feet up, <laughs> with all the yeah. missing socks, 
Hey, they got a payout. Oh yeah, the missing socks, missing earplugs is a big one for me. Oh, what do you, what do you mean? Oh, like um, like protective earplugs. Yeah, I always yeah. I like always sleep with earplugs because I'm always on a tour bus, and yeah. um, they just they always bloody go missing. It's really annoying. I just have little disposable ones, but I have I get through thousands of them. Thousands and thousands. What else Maybe goes missing? Guitar just... picks, always. I was gonna say, I was gonna like should talk your ear for a second, but maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's not maybe that's not okay. No. We've just met. Yeah, maybe my ear is <laughs> swallowing them. But when you're on stage, you're obviously using custom built earplugs, right? On stage, I use custom ones. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I leave those in the. I leave those in my like in, with my guitar. I just use these little. F- I usually steal them from venues because sometimes venues you like they have them yeah. in the back of the venue. If you go to the bar, they have a big bucket of earplugs. So if you like, I mean, you don't like hope. the big loud noise. Yeah, yeah, for all the bar staff as well, who sadly exposed to loads of crazy noise all their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I normally just steal a couple from each venue, but they just they just keep bloody going missing so i always thought it's like a little mouse who steals lives in a bunch of socks no, it's and your steals ears. The you just have weird ear holes i thought my ears yeah i thought like my hearing changed recently go. oh no they're all stuck in there there's loads of them probably <laughs> oh it's, that's disgusting i hate that's that horrible. Well, you i hate, hate that, that idea visual. so much i just hate the idea of being loads of things stuck in my ears it really <laughs> freaks me out not for me Ugh. so it seems like you're doing well in quarantine. <laughs> Does it? What makes you think? I don't know. I mean, you're having a human conversation. It's, I'm it's, trying. Yeah, it's this hard. is the first conversation I've had in months. <laughs> no, actually, I've been doing all right. You know, I'm used to spending a lot of time. As I'm in my studio now. I spend a lot of time in here. I made the album in here. I like, I, and then lockdown happened, and I just had to come back here. We were meant to be on tour, but instead, I, it's just more of uh, normal life for me, really. Not too, not too different. But it's amazing that you were able. Didn't you play some shows even momentarily before the quarantine happened? Yeah, we did. So what did we do? We did like twelve shows or something. Yeah, just went. Got about most of the way across America. Actually, we got from the east coast all the way to the west coast, and then okay. we kind of couldn't finish the last little bit of west coast. Which was like, yeah, Seattle, Portland. We owe you guys. I don't know what's what the world is going to look like after this is all. I mean, I feel like everyone's already opened up. I'm just still one of the arseholes that's not or very clever. <laughs> You're still scared. Well, I mean, there's still a pandemic and I'm just kind of confused as, as to what. I suppose it shows a lot about your friends and your family like it shows you where your boundaries are immediately because I feel like none of my friends are going out and sitting at restaurants even though it's allowed. That's you probably very I mean? good. Is I mean, that that, how it that's is? probably where, very where good. Where are you? I'm in London, and we don't really know what the rules are because I no offense to our go- well offense actually to offense, our government, yeah. but they are insanely vague with their instructions. There's, they recently said something about some kind of fr- you're allowed to have a friendship bubble if you're oh, right, lo- like in pod. lockdown alone. Yes. Yeah, but really, no, no restaurants are open yet. None of the stores are really open. They're meant to be allowed to be open, but none of them actually have opened. It's yeah, everyone's everyone's a bit stuck, and then everyone gets fed up by the weekend. And there are thousands and thousands of people in the park, and the police try to clear them out. And as they get to the other end of the park, the people have kind of repopulated the other Humans, side of huh? the park again. And it, yeah, everyone in the band has gone a little bit nuts in different ways. One of them started trying to make his own brewery in his oh. house. <laughs> and apparently it was absolutely, yeah, it was disgusting, whatever he made. But I like the idea of also embracing one's hermiting, especially during this time, because I feel like in the beginning of all of it, I feel like it's been five, precisely 5,000 years since we all quarantined. But in the beginning, were you <laughs> were you also feeling that sense of, I have to do something, I need to make sourdough bread, I need to start a brewery, I have to make music? Like, how much of that pressure did you feel from the beginning? I, you know what, we had this whole, like, album release campaign planned out 
to within an inch of its life, we'd pushed go and the whole of my like next two and a half years were planned out like, every minute. And then that whole plan just went out the window. And so I had a lot of cleanup to do. <laughs> there was a lot of cleanup to do. We basically had to evacuate the United States and just empty our equipment out of our bus into like a truck. It's still sitting in a truck somewhere in America. I think it's in Tennessee, just oh like locked gosh. and waiting for us to come back because we didn't know when we were going to be able to go back. Um, and honestly, since then, we've just I've just been like trying to plan how to release an album. Mm. The album to me is the music and then the touring happens. It's it's like a this one thing. That's the album. The music, the tour, the stage show, right. the artwork, it all comes in. They're all big players in it and just working out how to compensate for that. It's like losing the legs of the of the album. Right. Losing losing the tour. Right. Because it it does. It, it it's all part of one big globule. And they all Yeah, exactly. Hand yeah. Hand. But the announcement though, that happened with a you I saw the music video that you I love the best part about the music video for obviously people who are going to be listening to this conversation down the line. You did it all via Zoom and you set it up yeah. on your own. And then the best part was at the end when all the credits come up and it's just your name next to it. Oh, yeah. It was <laughs> every a nightmare. It was so hard. It's oh, it so looked difficult. like a nightmare. It looked like so much fun. Come on. In retrospect, it was fun. <laughs> but at the time, it took four days, mainly because wow. my place is on the third floor of a building and a, basically a big truck pulled out, pulled up like 200 metres. It didn't even park right outside the building. It was like 200 metres down the road and just opened the door. And then I got a phone call saying there's a truck with its door open down the end of the road. Go take Carry everything things. into your house wow. now. Go. And it was so much stuff. So, so, so much stuff. Huge, like, metal stands, giant lights. There were, like, 20 light fixtures. There was a whole, like, framework to make this giant tent construction, this tunnel in my living room. And there was, like, a roller coaster track. And I had to bring all of that up. <laughs> and a, like, cinematography camera. Like, a proper film camera. Yeah. It looked beautiful. It's a monster. Oh, thanks. It was it, in retrospect, it was really great. It was an exhausting four days, and I, that's what I've been filling my time with—doing really ridiculous, crazy things like that. Not making sourdough bread as much as I'd love to make. Like I don't know, I love cake. That's my yep. favorite thing. I make a good cake. <laughs> what kind um, of cake? I make really good chocolate cakes. Like a little bit melted, still oh. like a bit squidgy on the inside. Put a bit like vanilla ice cream on well, top. Now look what oh. you've done. I don't want to have. I don't want to do this. Let's just. Eat cake. I just yeah, eat we cake should. right now. Damn I know, it. that's what I want. <laughs> Instead of making these bloody music videos. Yeah. No, I, I I really liked doing it. But yeah, I've just been... We've been problem solving. That's what we've been doing. I mean, I think that the it's so jarring to have any sort of obstruction to your normal routine. Whether that's like even if your tour is happening and your flight gets cancelled. I mean, there's numerous things that happen on even within a controlled plan so i think that when something like this happens where it's completely derailed i almost feel like that's even it's almost better because then at least you have some sort of control and expectation in what isn't going to happen right <laughs> that's true yeah you know? you're saying it's so it's it's so chaotic. It's right. not even worth trying to exactly. organize anything. Like it, because well. there aren't any, well, I mean half full, right? There there aren't many. That is, yeah. There aren't many rules for right now, which I find is actually a fascinating thing. Especially everybody that I've been speaking to, whilst in the beginning there was the sense of I need to create now. I feel like everyone's just kind of fucked up and also done nothing and then also been depressed <laughs> and then also had the time of their lives. Like this pacing, I've strangely really loved not leaving. I've secretly loved it too. Like I've I've absolutely, I've hated that people have died and I've hated That's that terrible. I can't go home and I can't, you know, go visit my family and I've got to constantly like watch the news. But that's one side of it but I definitely think 
Do you feel like you'll, your approach to touring, well, at least your own artistry, do you think that it will shift a little? Like, what do you think it will look like when all of this is done? Well, weirdly, that is what, that's actually what our next music video is kind of about. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a commentary on that, on what the music, the touring industry is going to look like for the next couple of years. It is definitely going to change things. We were just, I was just trying to think, I was just on a call trying to work out how the heck we're going to do a live show in the current climate. And there's just nothing that feels quite right. The technology's not quite quite there. It's okay if you're like a solo act and you want to just like play a piano and sing. That's quite easy. But to do something really spectacular is, is really hard. So we're going to try and work out a way to do that. That's going to be the next like tour. Uh, it's not really a tour, I guess. It's just a show. And then touring itself, I I can only hope that things open up next year. But I I do think there will be a kind of a bit of social distance. People are going to have to be like two meters apart in the crowd. They're going to be this little. I don't know how that's pe- possible. Oh, I think it's going to really lose the energy. Part of the energy is people interacting and people feeling like they're all a unit and together and on the same wavelength. I think that's all going to go. People like what I've been speaking to people about is like these pods. They've been making these little p- isolation oh, right. pods. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and they, they'll have like a little table inside. But you're, yeah, you and what, the you people in, that like you a, live with. A zorb. What are those things? Yeah, called? but like a, literally like yeah. a zorb. It's basically that and drive-ins. That? I, oh, I think. Yeah, they'd both be really sad. Really, really sad. I think that's what it's going to be like for the year. But why is that the best? I feel like that's not the best option. Underground. I, like, I've thought about illegal stuff too. I've been tempted to just do like a kind of secret underground rave. And y- oh, yeah, it'll happening. get broken up by the police. But- oh, I think it's already happening. I feel like I spoke to I spoke to somebody the other day and they were like, yeah, I was invited uh, you know, to this party at this warehouse the other day, but I just didn't want to go. And I was well, thinking, like, wow, that's an entire different life. Like, here I am, like, planting peppermint in my, you know, uh, yeah. on my porch. And I planted mint. That's me- did you? I did, too. I, I did mint. peppermint, mint yeah. Mint in hot water. Yeah, mine died. So mine died, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, I'm glad it wasn't. There was no, but tough. No, but listen. It's a picky, it's, it's a, a picky really hard one. I, I wanker did of a yeah. plant. <laughs> you wanker. I actually planted it way too early. I just got too excited that just a snippet of sun had come out in Chicago and ran out, bought mint, planted, and then it was like, too what, early. Are you, what are you, crazy? Yeah, I've got one, one little mint plant left. I bought three, and one of them. One Damn of them surviving, but Keep I'm alive. quite good at plants too. Like I love plants. I've got like palm trees in my studio, palm trees in my house. It's like the one thing I'm good at I feel like in I life, saw that aside in from the making sh- chocolate cake. In the video, <laughs> I love how proud you are that you can bake chocolate cake. It's I really can make a, a good, good chocolate cake. That's it. That's the only skill I have. I can actually I can make pancakes too. Like pretty good pancakes. I don't know um, what's the it. difficulty level of a pancake. Well, it's just getting the mixture right. Yes. That's all. That's all. Okay. And then it's pretty easy. And then it's the flip once right. it's in the pan. The yeah. Wrist, and how many flips movement. you can do. Okay. Yeah. My record is like 186 flips. Oh. It just it one, like. <laughs> yeah. No, I've never. I've, I've, I can definitely flip. I'm pretty good what, at that. Like parkour? But like your maybe, body? Oh, no, you're talking about pancakes. Pancakes, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I like to think I can do parkour, but I'm, I suck. <laughs> you know, I'm really, I'm really rubbish. Say, I'm so embarrassed to actually admit this. It has nothing to do with the things that I'm actually curious to ask you. But I feel like I <laughs> have always secretly wanted to do parkour. Like, I feel uh, like I've do always... Do you do it? No. 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 You know what? You should just do it. Some, no, but I, listen, I don't I know do if it. that's good advice. <laughs> I don't think you have I think it's good advice. My, my best interest at heart. I think you should do it. I have a, oh. a game that's called James Bond, mm-hmm. and you can do it on the tube, on the train, especially now when the okay. underground in London is totally empty. Right. You basically, when you get off the tube, you have to jump from the middle of the carriage about two meters behind right. where the doors open and you, as you jump you need to grab the railing that's on the ceiling and swing out of the carriage land on your feet and go into a forward roll okay. 
And then you get up and you make a kind of gun thing with your hands. Or like just a gymnast, like 10 points. Yeah, maybe, okay, okay. maybe, no, yes. Okay. The gymnastics version is much more right. peaceful. Yeah, I, th- I think so. But During that's a sort of parkour. tumultuous times. That is a sort of parkour. I don't I think, think yeah. I've even been able to, like, jump from one spot to that. <laughs> like, I feel like the only time I ever jump is, like, if I'm doing, like, Pilates or yoga and I'm, like, You jumping. jump in Pilates? What kind of Pilates are you doing with jumps? Well, if you're doing a Pilates move and you get, you're standing up and it's kind of a half Pilates, half yoga, you'll jump I think you're doing it wrong. I think you're doing it wrong. Pilates isn't, and yoga isn't that meant to be like really peaceful movements? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, Pilates is pretty fucking insane. It's like oh. incredibly, incredibly challenging. I mean, I'm totally ignorant to most forms yeah, of exercise. You're just, making, you're just making chocolate cake. I make it, I eat a lot of chocolate cake and then I do, you know, James Bond. That's about <laughs> Wait, as so the extent of my exercise. Do you do it? Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, and sometimes I have gotten, I got a bit. I do. I I should. I really should. I do a bit of like jump. Once I climbed up really high on the side of a stage and then couldn't get down. That was bad. Uh, (laughs) Isn't that a nightmare? Isn't that a nightmare? nightmare. Because you've seen people do it and you're like, "Fuck, that looks so cool!" And then you get up there and you're like a cat. And it's really high up and scary. Yeah. Where were you? It's really high up. I think it was actually at Coachella, that big festival in America. Right. I've also, I just fell off the front of a stage once and broke my leg. That was bad. Shit. I've had a lot of accidents on stage, actually. How did you Chip fall teeth. off? Chipped teeth. Oh I literally just walked off the front of the stage. <laughs> it was that simple. It was just, I wasn't looking right. It's it was actually not high. As I walked was on stage. It wasn't <laughs> dark. It was broad daylight. I was in Ch- Chile, Chile, the country. Yes. It was beautiful outside, nice sunny day. Festival was like, I don't know, it was like six, not not quite sunset, just still bright outside. Oh my God. The whole like intro music goes and I start walking on stage um, and I don't stop walking on stage and I walk straight off the front. That was it. That was, the, that was how the show started. I broke my leg. But were you distracted? Did you forget how to walk? N- no, I simply just, you know how your mum always tells you to look where you're going? <laughs> I forgot that basic rule of life. That rule. Yeah, they're like those basic rules. Don't play ball in the house. Look where you're going. Wash your hands. You know, all of those are very, very important rules. That is She so was very funny. right. Now everyone has coronavirus because <laughs> they didn't wash their bloody hands. Like, she was so right. And walking into the abyss. So wait, so you fell off and then broke your leg? Fell off, yeah. Broke. Broke a bone in my... It was like the heel bone. Ow. The actual big heel bone was just like broken in, in half and I had to wear a cast for ages. Um, was it painful? Yeah. It was really quite painful. I had quite a lot of adrenaline because it was a big crowd and I was like pumped. Um, so I didn't really feel it at first. Did you do Finish the, the show? show? Oh my God, you did yeah. the show. Got back up and did the whole show. Then afterwards, looked down and the, it lit... Basically, it looked like there was a grapefruit on the side of my <laughs> leg. Swelling, huh? Huge swelling. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty bad. And then this guy, the guy from Rancid, you know that punk yes. band Rancid. Yeah. yeah, he came up and he was like, "Dude, that looks really bad." <laughs> <laughs> it was, and I'm a huge fan, so I was like, "Whoa!" I'm a fan. Whoa, thanks. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Hi, dude. How are you? Go with to the meeting, With meeting your idols. Um. Awkward. I'm quite an awkward person, I think. Yeah. I've, I've, have I met my idols? Who have I met? Yeah, who have fr- you met? I feel like because you guys have been touring for so long. I've met a few. I've met, met Radiohead, that lovely. Really nice. They're sweet. They are the, sweet. The, the, have you met them? Not Tom, but everybody no, else. No, me neither. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody I've met gets to A couple Tom. of them, they seem really nice. I'm a huge fan, so I was a bit... I didn't say anything. They just... Um, I just sat there silently. Pause the podcast!
It's time to step away from the conversation with Dave from Glass Animals ever so briefly to share a special segment. We typically like to share a favorite live show or live stream of the week, but we want to continue putting a spotlight where it's most needed and instead highlight an organization we think you should contribute to. This week we're highlighting Healthy Hood Chicago, an organization working to close the 20-year life expectancy gap between high-income and underserved communities in Chicago through everything from educational health resources to dance classes. To contribute, head to healthyhoodchi.com donate. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-Y... H-O-O-D-C-H-I dot com slash donate. But for now, back to Lior and Dave. Enjoy! And then what, basically I was in the studio working on this album. I was playing this song called Heat Waves. I was like listening to it for the last time, putting the finishing touches on. And then the song finished. Yeah. And I heard someone behind me, there's a piano behind me, and someone was playing on it. And I turned around, and all I could see was just a bunch of hair and a big cigarette or spliff coming out mm-hmm. from behind this hair and a glass of wine. And I was like, whoa, who's that? And the voice just said, it's Johnny. And I was like, what? What, what does that mean? <laughs> and then I went around and looked, and it was just Johnny Depp, just there. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp was there. Yeah, I don't know why. I couldn't tell you. He hung out for ages. We spoke for, I don't know, a good 20 minutes. He told me some amazing stories. He told me um, he told me how he came up with the accent for Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. Did you ask? Is this all great. unprompted? No, just no, no, no. I didn't really say anything. Um, he was he was just telling me stories. It was great. He did a Donald Trump accent, which I thought was really interesting, really funny. He was bang on. Which studio? What? Where did you record? Uh, this was just like a little session a studio called the Church in London, North London. Yeah. Are you I had sure a room it was there for a Johnny Depp and not just? You know what? Maybe like maybe it was someone else. Maybe it was Jimmy Depp. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't. It was. It was absolutely certainly that him is, because a that few is crazy. Yeah, I f- like <laughs> a bit of time went by, and then some big dudes came in and were like, "Is Johnny here?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, he's here." He's like, we, "Yeah, <laughs> he got wow. lost." Oh, so he just wandered um, into the studio? Do you think he's like friends with the studio owner? I think he was friends with whoever was recording in the... Me- there's like the three studios area. and there's one right. big studio and there's always like Abba or someone in there. Yeah. And I think whoever was in there, he must have known <laughs> them and been there. Always recording. No, I know, you know... <laughs> sorry, you know... I don't know. I was just trying to think of a big act. No, I know I know what you mean. I, think <laughs> I don't know why they were the first one that came to I my head. I think it's really funny though to think of like this whole thing was just a ruse, like it's a long con, like none of his career. He didn't actually want to start acting. He actually just wanted to be in Glass Animals. And so his whole life, (laughs) he's become famous enough so that while you're singing, he can just pop into a a studio uninvited and not be questioned why he's there. I mean, I really, really doubt that's the case. Listen, I (laughs) I don't make the rules. You don't make the rules. All right, you should ask him. Why don't you get get him on the phone? Um, no, I have I have I'd, conflicting he, views about Johnny. Yeah, Depp. of course. I mean, of course. we, we all do. So it's very difficult because I feel like it's one of those conversations that you have regarding the art versus the artist, and if those two are yeah. are are able to separate. And I I I think initially when I first became a critic and or was like writing about music many years like a decade ago I feel like I was able to separate it because I wasn't really in tune with the other side I was still so much of a fan which I am still today but I never saw how the rabbit was like taken out of the hat you know I never saw the things and then I got more and more into it like I'm sure as you did when you started performing you know, you see the real side of it. And then I realized that it's very difficult to <laughs> separate those two things. It is. Yeah, you know? absolutely. No, I feel that entire like hugely. I, I've always found it very difficult. If I see an interview with someone like a hero of mine and it's it sucks. Like, they say something slightly sexist, just that's it. They're done. They're, they're done. They're dead to me. Right. 
I like that yeah. attitude, especially as a person who I suppose in in the greater aspect of what the industry looks like, somebody who has a little bit more power, you know, I feel like that's really good that you think that. But I think that so much shit happens in this industry that you, you just can't, I don't know, you can't avoid it, but you also can't perpetuate it. You can't be part of it. But you can't yeah. not say anything. I, I guess I, str- I struggle because I'm really shy. And I, right. I quite like keeping things close and my opinions close. It's kind of how I was brought up to be. It's just keep your keep your mouth shut. Right. That's what you're told to do growing up right. in America, like in Texas, where I grew up. Like, well, how long did you live in Texas? Seven years, six years, seven years. Wow. Oh, wait, yeah. I read that your, aren't your parents... One is from Wales and one is from Israel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is your mom is your mum or your dad from Israel? All over the place. Yeah. My mum. Wow. Have she's, you been back since? She's Israeli. To America? No, to Israel. To Israel. Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. I went I've been a couple of times. And I love the people's everyone's so open. I guess I have a different experience because a lot of my family's there. So obviously I would think that the people are very open and very kind because I'm hanging out with like family members. Right. Um, but I just, yeah, I, I've always felt kind of at home there because of that. And I just, yeah. yeah, the friendliness is amazing. The food is incredible. There's really good food. The weather's great. It's kind of, it can be a scary place to live. It's not necessarily the safest. I think it is getting safer. Um, but, the, you know, there's a bit of a war so, yeah, <laughs> they have to be vigilant. Where's the place that you haven't toured yet that you'd like to? Well, is that Japan? I'd love to go to Japan. Oh, yeah. my God, it's, I'd it's love to go dream. to Japan. It's the dream. It's just so, it's quite hard for us to, we've got a big touring park. We have a lot of equipment. It's quite a, it's quite a crazy live show in terms of just the technology and the equipment. We want everything to be live. I mm-hmm. think it's... I've seen a lot of shows that can travel anywhere because they push play on a backing track and they have a couple guitars. <laughs> but we try to do everything live. How big is your crew? There's 20-something of us, about 22 wow. of us. Yeah, it's it's a lot. But we have a lot of stuff. It's like a really complex live drum kit mm-hmm. that's all got sorts of like triggers and stuff attached to all the drums. Um, there's lots of synthesizers uh, that are now kind of hosted on on these crazy computer systems that we have because the analog synths are too much to there's to so much maintenance so much to carry so much maintenance they're worth too much they go out of tune like a guitar but worse depending on the temperature and the humidity and then loads of guitars and all those guitars are going through the computers and through the synthesizers. The drums are going through the synthesizers. The vocal stuff is going through the computers and the synthesizers. And, oh, it's silly. So everything you hear has to be played. That's the, like, that's our, what's, I don't know, mantra or law. That's our principle that we, everything is, everything you hear is live. There's none of this, like, secret backing track stuff. I just see way too much and it... I don't know, it means you can adapt to the crowd, mainly. You mean to tell me that you're recreating each night, each sound and each song from the foundation instead of having something pre-recorded that you build onto? Yeah, definitely. It means we change the songs every night, you know. If the crowd's, like, quite mellow and was, you know, maybe it's a sunset slot at a festival and you need to play a little bit more chilled out because no one's taken their ecstasy yet and everyone's... (laughs) like a little bit stoned you can play everything a bit slower more ambient chilled out um and then if you're playing like a late night slot and it's a dance music festival you can kind of hype up the tempos you can change the drum everything can be reactive and totally change from night to night and you get a kind of slightly different version and we mess up a lot which is that's part of live music there's always mistakes of like what initially was written or that you just lose your way together well sometimes yeah, sometimes things kind of go wrong. We've had to restart songs sometimes. Um, but that's what live music should be like. Right. Sometimes sometimes it gets a little bit too far from the original. And I'll just be like, oh, that didn't go well. Let's try <laughs> another one. 
But if you are a little bit shy, then what sort of, who did you look up to in terms of performer that you wanted to essentially mirror or somebody at least that made you feel quite inspired to perform in that way? I've always been really afraid of performing. I hate the first like year, two years of shows that we did, I literally stood dead still on stage, panicking, <laughs> like on the verge of peeing. Oh, no. It was, I hated it so much. Um, because of the pressure, the crowd, or because I just, it's just not in your nature? It's not in my nature. I hated being in front of people so much. I hated crowds. Yeah, I hated people I looking it. at me. I still don't like photographs being taken of me. Like I've, It's weird. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's just, weird at all. I think it's, a no? cer- it's, it's certainly, as you were talking like when we first started the chat, you were saying how like there's components of a rollout that feel natural. Write yeah. an album, record it, release it, tour it. And I feel like that part of it is something that you don't really necessarily get given the tools. You're kind of just expected to be able to perform. But I think that those two, especially from doing the show and chatting to so many different people about it, there's certainly sometimes a disconnect, which I think is so huge. I think so. Some, I mean, some people are taught the the tools of that trade. Some schools offer like theatre programs and music programs and they have band nights and stuff. My my school was not so much like that. <laughs> I was like in the math club and the chess club and right. we had stuff like that, but we never had, yeah, there wasn't the like a performing, performing arts part. It was never a thing. It was never something that was an, an option. And doing anything creative was actually not really an option. The schooling was like, you do the syllabus, there's no creative stuff in the syllabus, you learn the facts, then you try to go to college. <laughs> I think we made candles the one time. <laughs> like we had a candle oh, making that's, class. That's cool. That was cool. I don't that remember is really cool. how to make it. I wish I could. They now. should teach all that stuff. They should teach you how to make cake at school. That's they should true. teach you like Where did you real learn how stuff. To make cake? Who taught you? My mom. Yeah, she's she can make good cake, but um, the rest, she, I don't know. She's a bit hit and miss. She makes a lot of really Where are you weird food. Talking your mom's cooking. Sorry, Mum. Yes, she knows. She'll be the first to admit. She made me an omelette once and she cracked she cracked three eggs, stirred them up and put them in a plate and then put that in the microwave. And it was just like a solid... Oh, my God. It was like a Frisbee. It was but I feel like completely that's like, solid. I understand that in the concept of like you're breaking eggs to make like a shakshuka. Like her Israeliness. I think maybe. that's what she was maybe going maybe for. Going- yeah. She just loved the microwave. The the microwave was like I mean, her Americans favorite thing do. in the world. Americans love. Do you know that that's yeah. how they make tea? I didn't realize that until I moved really? here. Well, like <gasps> no one has a kettle here. Like I didn't know I that, d- that was yeah, not a that thing. Yeah, that is true. Like they don't have a stovetop kettle or an electric kettle. So they put water into a mug with a tea bag. And then put it in the microwave. And then microwave it. It's That's like disgusting. drinking bath water. It's the same. But it's a it's good exactly point. The same. Yeah, I never thought about I guess I didn't really drink tea growing up, so I never thought yeah. about it. But you're right, I never saw a kettle. Never I saw just a saw kettle. Never seen macaroni a kettle. and cheese, <laughs> microwave, hot pockets, which are like oh, little yes. delicious pastries feel, you put in yes. the microwave. Mm, I've yeah. not had one of those. No, I think if I had one now, food. I probably wouldn't. Who knows what's in it? Exactly. The barbecue one had some kind of mystery meat inside. <laughs> Delicious. But so what was the first show that you ever saw? So you moved from the States, from Texas at seven-ish, seven, eight-ish. Well, I was born in Boston. Well, not in Boston, like two and a half hours out of Boston. This tiny little place called Grafton. Mm-hmm. Um, lived there for seven years, then moved to Texas. And then six years later, moved to England. And that's where, like, that's when I got into music properly. So did you have an accent when you moved? I had a really weird accent. My mum being Israeli, yeah. having lived in Texas and <laughs> the Northeast, I just sounded so weird. I sounded really weird. I sounded like George W. Bush, but also, <laughs> like, with a New York twang. It was weird. <laughs> so what was the first show that you saw? Was it in the States before you moved? No, I like I did love music when I was in the States. I used to listen to a lot of hip hop 
in Texas, there were like two stations. There was a country station and a hip-hop station. I loved the hip-hop station. My mum wouldn't want me to listen to it, but I did it anyway, secretly. Uh, I just liked the bass. I liked the way the bass made me feel. And I loved the sound, the drum sounds. And the whole song made you feel like cool and swaggery. This album feels like that too. Oh, good. That's cool. I mean, the, the new sounds are all meant to be like a reflection of that, what I grew up listening to. So there's definitely like that element, that like reference to Dr. Dre, that reference to Timberland. Those are the sounds that I grew up with in Texas, really. So what was the first show that you ever saw? Do you know Block Party? Yes, I love Block Party. I love Block Party. Like I a lot. The, I, that was that first album. What like changed my brain? Incredible, right? It's the same. And he's Kelly. He's Kelly, yeah. Phenomenal as well. I met him recently, actually, wow. and that blew my mind. Yeah. I didn't even know what to say. He's very sweet, very sweet, very strong, huge he's muscles. Man. He. When he, I feel like he just got over the band, and then obviously he did some of solo stuff. And I just remember that that video. I don't, I can't recall. I feel terrible for not being able to recall the name of the song. But he's just walking down a street. Oh, everything you wanted. I have to Google it. You should watch that video. Did he look really hench and handsome? And he was kind of crying. It was really emotional, and it was one of the best performances like on a music video that i've seen it was beautiful uh, yeah he's oh uh, he's incredible he's just great songwriter seems like a really nice person that's one of those yeah you meet your heroes and you're pleasantly surprised so wait um, how old were you when you saw them i don't know that was probably a couple of years after i moved to england Okay. I was a bit shy when I, I didn't really have any friends when I first came because I was the new kid, you know? Yes. And uh, my first friends weren't really into music. I was just kind of lumped in with them at school because they were the Americans. Like there was one other, Amer <laughs> two other Americans and we were like kind of American together. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started making some more friends who were more into music and I don't know, maybe I was 15 or 16. How old are you now? I'm 30 now. Okay. Wait, when did they... Oh, they started, what, like 2005? Yeah, when, I wonder, when was Silent Alarm? 2000, maybe know. it was 2005. 2000, I'm, I'm Googling. 2004. Yeah, that sounds right. about right. So I must have seen... I think I moved to England when I was like in like 2004, probably. Wow. And then I probably went to see them like when they played Brixton Academy, which was maybe... Yes. 2005 I don't, I don't I don't know for sure so do you feel like you found a lot of inspiration when you saw but wait that was your first show ever that was my first show ever yeah wow yeah that's an no one would come with me until then first show oh uh, it was was it is that what do you I mean, I mean I've I saw like a show in a pub before that but not anybody I wanted to see it was just like right. some someone's dad's band or something <laughs> I don't know I suppose though yeah, everybody has a different story because on the show I always ask what your first gig was that you ever went to, and a lot of people lie, and then later I get the real one. So a lot of people oh, the real give answer, me, yeah, because they're like, I don't know, Janet Jackson or I don't know somebody else, and then later oh, but I then get the truth like, comes out. Oh, they were at the church, and that was when they first. I'm trying to think did, of did like, you lie? I, <laughs> I went. I was brought to a concert. A country concert when I was a kid. That counts. Yeah, the guy was called. That counts. Does it count? No, it doesn't count because you don't remember it. I don't remember it. I don't remember it at all. Actually, I just remember it being loud. <laughs> and that was it. That was literally all I remember. It was some country singer. Um, I don't remember his name. It was quite. It was relatively wow. big. It was maybe a, a couple thousand people. When was the first time you figured that that was something that you wanted to do? I never really thought it was an option. I always loved music and I thought music would be an amazing thing to do, but I always I was just always told it was a hobby and these people who make it are like freaks. It's like a freak story, you know. Right. They they always have an amazing backstory. They were discovered by someone and it all blew up. So and I was like, Okay, was, you know, it's not gonna happen. I didn't know anyone in music. I didn't know anything about music really. My cousin got me a guitar and that's how I started, but I'd I didn't think I was any good. Um, yeah, never thought it was a thing. And then mm -hmm. in college, I started making 
some some dance tracks. I was DJing for fun mm-hmm. and to make a little bit of pocket money on the side. So at night, I'd do my classes in the day, and then I'd go do DJing at night and uh, come back wired. I'd have like a couple of Red Bulls while I was DJing to stay awake because it was late at night. There's a place called Fabric in London. Yes. You know that club? Yeah, I do. That's, a That's big where club. I started. It's a big club, but I had like the I had the worst slots. I either had the last slot at like six in the morning when everyone was just too oh, wasted to care. Clubs could stay open that late. I don't know if they yeah. do. I don't know. Do they stay open? I don't. That late? I don't. I think some of them Maybe do in do. England. And or I had like the opening opening slot. So when people were walking <laughs> in the door at like eleven to midnight. But yeah. That's just started making beats on like an old, had a really old hand-me-down laptop. And that's sort of spiraled out of control. I don't know, I put a couple of these songs down and showed them to my friends from school. And they were like, oh, these are really good. Put them on, on SoundCloud. I put them on SoundCloud. And that was, that was the beginning of the end. It all spiraled out of control and now I'm here speaking to well, you. Do you feel like your, your introduction into performance through DJing and things like that at, at, at weird slots... Did that help you at all feel a little bit more comfy with sharing that side of you? I don't know. Like, Fabric is all about being... It's moody. It's dark. Mm. You're not really... It's not really about who's performing. It's more about... It's just very music-based. It's it's really dark. You can't really see the faces of anyone who's there. It's just you're in the zone with the music. And that's kind of always how I felt about music. It was like... It was quite a serious undertaking like you had I that's why when I first got on stage I had I was like I was really nervous about everyone looking at me and then I was really concentrated on playing everything absolutely perfectly but then I kind of learned that that's not the right way to do it we went to but I, I learned how it's south by southwest that was like a All kick right. in the ass yeah they, the label sent us a south by southwest we did like eight shows in four days wow. and you just had to get like it was gonna be shit it was <laughs> the sound was going to be bad. You had ten minutes to plug all your stuff in. As I said, we had a really complex setup. None of it worked. So we just <laughs> so we just like had a lot of tequila and had fun on stage. And then I was like, "That's how you do a live show: is you have fun." Right. It sounds so simple in its form, but I think that that is definitely. I think that that extends to anything that you're passionate about because passion can so often make you feel. A little bit highly strung because you care. Definitely. So yeah, just yeah. relaxing into it, I think, is. But also, the audience feels that. Like, don't you feel that when you see a show and see a band on stage? Like, if they look uncomfortable, you will feel uncomfortable, like straight away. That's a huge thing. Absolutely, yeah. If they look nervous, you feel nervous. And I definitely made a lot of people feel nervous by looking <laughs> nervous. Well, no, actually, not many people were coming to the shows. <laughs> we, oh, no. we played one. We play, I remember we played one show to two people, oh. and <laughs> Wait, it was my. Where was that? The crowd was my friend, and <laughs> I think it was her boyfriend or something. Or her, I don't know. It was in Leeds, Liverpool. Oh I don't remember. And I remember, like our rider at the time was very simple, very very simple. It was like four beers and four waters and that was it and maybe some crisps yeah um and we turned up and they were like guys you haven't sold any tickets so you get we have this one can of beer that we found behind the fridge that you can have and that was what we had and we shared that after the show and it was terrible actually you know what we played and we had probably had an okay time, but yeah. it was just that's how it started for us. We played a lot of shows to zero people. How did that help? How did that, what did that teach you? You know what? It makes me really, really, really appreciate where we and how lucky we are to be where we are now, and how much work has gone into that. When you really start like that, like we start, the first show we actually played was the bottom of a four band bill it was the venue across from my house in England and I went and gave them my like the demo tape that we'd put on SoundCloud and they were like cool you can come down and play um, and we only had like seven minutes of music that was it so we played for seven minutes <laughs> that was that was the whole show then we got and three bands played after us and when you look back at that like thinking back about it feels so mad 
even just being able to identify, like just listening to the new album, there's so much thematically that I feel like you haven't tackled that much before in a way of not to say that you feel more confident now, but there's definitely a scope that you're playing with that I haven't heard, if that makes sense. Like on, I think maybe it made me think that on Hot Sugar and... Oh, yeah. I love the little home movie interludes, which obviously... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's on my mama. That's actually my mum. Yeah, yeah, they're actually pulled from... It's the audio pulled off of old home videos that she used oh, to make right. of me and my brother growing up. Yeah, she's actually taken the the audio out. Oh, that's so smart. I love <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's very personal. I don't know. I didn't know if anyone else would like it, but, you know, it's what she's the person who's like that constant figure in my life. And I, that kind of ties all those moments that happen in the record together. It's, she's been there the whole time. I think that also Space Ghost Coast to Coast is such an incredible show. And I was so excited to see a track named after it. Like oh, it's from such a sweet spot where comedy... I'm glad you, know, you like that show. It's where like comedy can totally subvert any expectations and celebrity culture. And yet before, that was like a cool thing to do, you know? Yeah, it's an incredible show. I I rewatched a bit of it to um to kind of get back into the headspace of the song. But really, like I was watching that when I was way too young to be watching yeah. that. I think <laughs> I probably I feel shouldn't like I have need been. To watch it again. I definitely need to watch all of that stuff. I actually, you know what? I like, I watched a lot of like old. St- I tried to dredge up my past a lot, so I spent a lot of time watching things like that. Watching old movies that I grew up with. I rewatched like The Karate Kid, Terminator. Um, there's just, a Karate I was trying Kid to get, reference on one of the songs. There is a Karate Kid yes. reference, yeah. And there's like a reference to all the food that I used to eat, that like <laughs> ridiculously processed American food right. that I grew up on. And then obviously it also references like stuff that I've, you know, more modern stuff, like people, I don't know, drinking acai berry smoothies right. and sh- <laughs> shit that didn't exist when I was a kid. It was all it was all hot pockets and <laughs> Nintendo. No, no wellness, love and light. No, none no of that. absolutely not. Why did you think it was important then to bring a lot of you into this? Like, so often we're told that there's a few dangers around nostalgia. Well, at least I know I'm a very sentimental person, but I know that a lot of people Are struggle. You? Oh yeah, I'm very mushy, but. Like people struggle to like look back because looking back could open this weird portal of where you were that time might not be, have have been kind to you, you know? Yeah. So what made you do that now? Because what, this is your third record? Third, yeah, yeah. So what made you... Third album, jeez. <laughs> it's a couple of things, I guess. We had, I've always written songs about other other people and other things that were kind of, you know other things and circumstances and people that I could see myself in so it's sort of mm-hmm. a little bit self-referential but not really and not directly not mm-hmm. like this and then I wrote one really personal song at the end of the last record called Agnes mm-hmm. and I didn't want to play that live for ages but when we started playing it live I could see people's reaction to it and people were like people I always cry playing that song because someone in the crowd cries. So it was just several, like, the people in the front row always cry. And, like, I was like, if writing a personal song can do that, I might as well keep trying. And then Joe had his accident. Our drummer had a really bad accident. was in the yes. hospital for a long time. I saw that. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Dude. I was oh, reading no, about you know that. What? He's getting a lot better. And I was spending a lot of time in the hospital. And the future was doomed. The future looked so shitty that you just... And, you know, what's around you is pretty scary. So you just sort of find this comfort in the past and nostalgia. Even if those things aren't particularly comfortable or nice, it's sort of more comfortable than what was going on and <laughs> what I saw in the future. Um, I actually wanted to write an album about the future before that happened. And then I got like totally stuck in my own head and memory and stuff. I like that you saw the reaction of a crowd and felt that that connection was affirming as well because I think so often people are afraid to write material whether you're a songwriter or a screenwriter or a writer like material about your own life feels so self-referential and so self it feels self-indulgent self-indulgent right 
weird and selfish and all the selfs. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, And yeah, I don't know, especially as a a Jew, you're kind of taught not to talk about yourself ever <laughs> no. ever it's yeah it's literally so I still, I still job. feel weird I, it's, it's like oh yeah you're a journalist <laughs> yeah just want to tell everybody else's story exactly that's it I grew up like that and then I don't know just a few things gave me the confidence to to do it and you know what I think I was doing a lot of writing for other artists after Joe had his accident and after the first couple of weeks he kind of started coming around and he was starting to move again and talk a little bit and he basically um, said, like, go do your thing. I just need time to heal. Wow. Go do your thing. And I went to L.A. and I started doing a lot of, like, writing for all sorts of things, all sorts of other projects. And like what? Yeah, production stuff. Mm-hmm. I was doing writing sessions with all sorts of people, some of my favorite people. Um, I've done stuff with Flume. There was that song with Denzel Curry that we did yes. that just came out. Um, there's a black with a six and Khalid and I did some like theme songs did a theme song for a cartoon that's going to come out soon oh wow uh, yeah all, all sorts of stuff I just had time you know and you realise that what people like and what people seem to gravitate to when you're writing for them is the personal stuff the stuff that comes from the heart um, so I kind of just kept doing it yeah <laughs> I feel like that's also a good way to stretch what you, your perception of what this is all for, right? Because when you see that your own music has some sort of universal pull and people connect to it, I think that that adds another layer of why you do, like, why do you do, why, why are you a musician? Is that a weird, that's probably such a weird question. Uh, It is a really weird question. I often ask myself, I think it's, sometimes I think this is the most selfish job in the world. (laughs) I really do. But then you see, like, I guess it kind of plays back into why people, why those other artists reacted to those certain bits of music that I wrote with them before them, because they saw themselves in it and it made them feel something good or bad at healing or it had a positive effect on them in some way. And I guess that's why you do it to help people in some way. <laughs> I know, maybe, but maybe that's really arrogant to say. I don't know. I have this constant conundrum so. about this where I'm like, how can you think that something that you've done can help someone? I suppose how can you not think it wouldn't? Like if, if that is your service, like I, I feel like that's the, st- that's the foundation of the most, at least I'm j- projecting, but that's the foundation of the work that I do. Like it has to help somebody in some way or at least shift a perception in some way. Otherwise, what are you, you're not adding or taking away. You're just, <laughs> you're just taking up space, I suppose. And what's the point in doing that if you can't impact exactly. somebody? I just, I, you know, I, I hope that one day I can help someone write a song that properly changes the way someone feels. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it'll ever happen. I remember when I first heard In Rainbows by Radiohead, that like that changed my life. It was a really weird time in my life. Just landed at the right time and it was a perfectly constructed album for that. It, everyone I speak to sees the same thing and it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. Geniuses, that's why. But sometimes you just need, I don't know, you need to go to that therapeutic right. place, that little the healing place. And place, absolutely. Often it's in in music. Those Some of those songs like save my life to some extent and hope I, did, I just hope one day maybe I can help someone I can like work on a piece of music that does that somehow is there a song on the new album that you are particularly proud of where you took that tack I think there are definitely yeah there are a lot <laughs> there's a lot of stuff on the basically a few songs in the album that are about really dark things and for some reason those are the ones that seem to like be healing for people like that song Agnes that I was telling you about is really really dark that's about like probably the saddest thing that has happened in my life and there are other songs that kind of get to that level of sadness in this within this record um there's a song called Domestic Bliss Mm -hmm. that is really that's like my first experience with like domestic violence and then there's a song called there's that Space Ghost song that's sort of toying with having someone in your life who you really love and care about but can is you know they 
break your heart and do something totally unforgivable and realizing that right. people like the people you love are going to hurt you. But ultimately, I guess the me- the message is that like all this s- stuff happens in life. Bad things, funny things, confusing things, crazy things, messy things. But it's what you kind of build on top of that that's important and amazing and makes you who you are. And you can survive all that stuff and be stronger for it. What is domestic bliss about? You mentioned that you experienced domestic violence firsthand. No, that was just as a... So I was really... That's my first memory, that song. It's pretty heavy. My friend used to pick me up from school... Well, his mum used to pick us up from school and we'd get into the front of his his mum's truck. She had this little Toyota silver pickup truck that was really battered and she'd we'd all sit in the front. She'd drive back to his house and it was a pretty weird place. Lots of like dogs in cages and quite scary. And she'd go into the to the house and we'd go out and play with the dogs and stuff and um we'd hear shouting in the house and he'd turn to me and be like, oh no, like she's going to come out. She's going to come out crying in a minute. And she, we'd go, as soon as we heard shouting, we'd go lock ourselves back in the truck and uh, she'd inevitably come out sometime later with like, yeah, tears, 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 blood on her face. And I was too young to really know what was going on. But I just remember thinking this is the coldest, most awful place in the world all three of us have to get the hell out of here. And she'd, yeah, she'd come sit with us in the truck and then we'd drive away. That's it. That's what, right. that, that's what that song is about. And just wanting to get the heck away. I'm glad that you wrote a song that touches on that, though, because I feel like there are often experiences that you, you know, you have on your own, in your own capacity, that might not be easy to retell. And not to say that this yeah. is, but... There is something really strange about witnessing that when you're so young and then looking back on it when you're an adult and realizing all the things that you could have done. I think exactly, that it's a, yeah. I think that's really brave of you to tap into that. How are you dealing with going back in your mind? Like, how did you make sure that you didn't fall off, fall, fall out <laughs> of balance? Definitely. Like, how did you keep your... Obviously, it sounds like your bandmates are really supportive, but... They're amazingly supportive, yeah. It's it's weird. A lot of the time, I was in a dark place for a lot of making this album, but you have to balance it out with the the good things. You know, there are a couple dark songs on the record. There are a couple really cheeky, funny, playful songs. I don't know, I like an album that goes to all the places, and hopefully you kind of see the optimistic side of those dark songs and hopefully speaking about it and being open about those things and being open about mental health and uncertainty in all other areas just that kind of openness will encourage someone else to be open and change something if you know just fix something in their life or in someone else's life and stand up for someone or something do one little thing to help what do you feel like you're going to do when you're out like what is the do you feel like you'll look at touring and or like the carbon footprint of everything or like how is how has your brain shifted you know to kind of be okay with the rollout not going as planned i think there's a couple things one is i really enjoy having to like amp up the creativity to fill that space that the the void that no touring is created so there's we've done a couple of, we've like had this open source thing I just did a hologram yes. of myself weirdly <laughs> so I can perform in other people's living rooms wow. it's going to be weird when we put that out we're doing like finding new ways to do videos doing Mario Kart tournaments on Twitch do, basically finding ways to like I don't know I feel like a lot of people are having a bit of a tough time right now being isolated and finding ways to have everyone to sort of I don't know, have a little bit of light in their life. Um, be it, th- like, I personally make a lot of music and that's really soothing. And I don't know, that open source thing is hopefully going to give someone a little bit of something, a place to start to either make some music, make some art, do something that yeah. just makes them feel a bit better. Sharing stems and such, it's such a cool way to replace the community feeling that we're all missing without live shows. I think that open source site is such a great thing to yeah. have done. Yeah, I think going like going to see live music is so healing for me. I love going and like you kind of lose yourself in a minute and you mm. kind of you join this like 
big shared consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, the open source was a kind of weird way of doing that. And all of these platforms like Twitch are kind of kind of a way of doing that. It's just working out the best way of doing them. And then obviously you realize, you know, there's a lot of a lot happening in the world right now. This is a very it's a very important moment politically and socially. And I think we're in a time of big change. And I think going out on tour, we've always tried to be kind of subtly vocal. We always put posters up at shows, uh, like leading to, because mental health has always been a big, I don't know, I've, I've known a lot of people who've suffered and suffered quietly. And so we've always put gone up and put posters in the bathrooms and things of like places, charities that you can, wow, yeah, where really you can helpful. find help. Yeah. But the, I think we can take that to another level now, seeing how, yes. <laughs> like, and there's so many, you know, mental health probably isn't the only place to mm-hmm. to go. I think that's probably, it's very, very important and very close to me. But there are other things we can, we can do to help. We're about to, we're about, we're doing, we're doing some other stuff. Lot, we can do a lot more charity and help more. I know we can. And I think we'll, we'll do that next time we tour. I've got some ideas. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to see what happens and hopefully I'll catch you at one of the Shows in 2044. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Next year. 2044. <laughs> See you in Chicago. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kivel. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.